Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, D.O., and my special guest, the Chief Attention Getter. That's me. At C47 Films. Throw a .com on there. You'll find them online. Josh Pies. Josh, welcome to the Loan Officer Podcast. Oh, I'm honored to be here. This is uh, this is enjoyable. And uh, you got a nice setup here. I like this. Yeah, no, thank you. It, it's, a, it's amazing how easily J.C. John Coleman was able to transform my everyday office into a studio and how well it looks actually on YouTube. Like, Yeah, it looks great. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah it's it a nice like, setup. It looks like we're actually in a studio, but hey, guys, guess what? We're not. We're, we're in my office um, about five steps away from my desk, and uh, we just so happen to have a decent uh, uh, background of Interstate 4. And um, yeah, low on construction in this view too, which is pretty amazing for I four. Yeah, I, so we have I four and a little bit of downtown Orlando. I love it. So Josh, yes, C forty seven films. Yeah, I have to ask, where did the name come from? <laughs> so um, for those people who have never been on a film set, you have never encountered the equivalent to what would happen on a construction site. Now, if you've ever heard the joke, "Hey kid, can you go grab the two by four stretcher?" you would know that you can't stretch wood and there's no such thing as a two by four stretcher. And that's kind of the joke on, on a construction site. Well, um, yeah, on a film set, people are asking, hey, can you throw me a, a C-47? And they wait for the blank stare. Um, as in, legend would have it, you know, at some point in the film industry, there was you know, no real industry. It was, it was trial and error, it was figuring it out. And we're talking early 1900s and money starts coming into play, investors are there, and they want to actually start monitoring the health and wellness of their investment. So they introduce, dun-dun-dun, accountants. Oh, yes. Yes. So you've got accountants who are in the room, and they're looking at a producer-director's you know, request for expenditures. And uh, you know they're not film production accountants. That became a thing later. They're, they're accountants. So they look at things through their own eyes. They don't know why you would use clothespins. And this became a consistent war on film uh, budget meetings. You know, oh, lights, you need that. Cameras, you need that. Got to pay the crew, got it. Um, let's get down to the nitty gritty. No, 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 you're, you're stealing those clothespins and you're taking them to Little Misses. Cut. And so there would actually be like a legit butting of heads over something very simple. Now, wood does not conduct heat or electricity. And so you might need to clip a very hot light to a, or a gel to a hot light and it saves your hands. Or you might have to fix a wardrobe malfunction or you might just have to post the paper that says what the schedule for the day is. And clothespins were the very simple cheap hack for that. So they were kind of necessary. But the war being what it was, um, somebody finally decided to solve it by renaming clothespins internally. Instead of asking for 100 clothespins, it would be two bags of C-47s. What's a C-47? A junk term for clothespins. Get out of town. I, Is it still not. used today? On? 100%. So you go on any film set with anybody who's actually worthy of calling it a film set, and you ask for a C-47, and it's either in their pocket or in a case somewhere, and they're going to grab a wooden clothespin and hand it to you. They so like, exactly I'm, I'm on a film set. I'm a best boy or I'm a grip. And you just yell out, give me some C-47s. I know. Right here. Clothespins. Bingo. And the new guy likely hasn't heard the story. So you want to gauge how new a kid is? You go, hey, kid, can you grab a C-47 for me? And they're going to go wander aimlessly and get the guts to finally ask somebody. And if they, if they take too long, they're, they're the new guy. 
Clothespins and duct tape. <laughs> it's amazing what we could do with just clothespins and duct tape. Add a paperclip and MacGyver, and we could probably launch a rocket. Yeah, uh, absolutely true. So chief information, no, attention. chief attention. Oh, yes. Yeah, chief information officer, there's a lot of those. There's yeah. a lot of CIOs out there, but there are very few chief attention Getters. Getters. Yes. I, I am maybe the one and only. I'm okay. not sure. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, I live in a marketing world. I live in a branding world. And, you know, attention is actually what we're dealing in. When you, what, why do we market? Well, we market to get attention. Now, there's a conversion that we're going to look for. We have a thing that we're selling, a product or a service that we want engagement with. Um, but also, I mean, in life, you know, you got two worlds of attention needs. You've got this professional need. I have to do a fair market exchange for something I have to eat. Okay. But you also have personal too. I need to get attention from people in my personal life. I'm a really happily married dude. I got attention from the right girl at some point and it worked. And so in, in all cases, we need to be able to get attention. But sometimes, and we all know this, I mean, watch, uh, we'll pick on the Kardashians who seem to have cleaned up at least a little bit in the recent years. But for a long time, they were getting the wrong attention. Unfortunately, our society allowed that to pay off. Um, big time. Big time. Big yeah, time I don't off. necessarily agree with a lot of that construct. But, in the, you know, the truth of the matter is they got a lot of negative attention. And their brand has suffered for it in some respects. They've monetized, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're happy. And they're known for a lot of semi, if not fully negative things, but they got attention. And wouldn't it be better if you could get a lot of attention, you know, or even a little attention from the right crowd for the right things. So figuring out who you are and what your brand is and, you know, getting yourself above the white noise matters greatly to me at my core. And, and not just for me. And yes, I dress loud. This is a personal choice. And it's part of how I do some branding. I got some great stories around. And you dress choices. loud just about every day. Yeah. When I'm at home, it's different. I mean, my kids, they, you know, they know my voice. I get their attention. No problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I'm out and about, I like to make a statement. And it's a branding statement of, around my core beliefs, actually. Um, and I'm very deliberate with clothing. Like in different industries that I've been in, I've had different column uniforms but nobody would accuse it, me of actually making it a uniform. And I can tell you some of those stories in a minute. But strategy about how I present myself matters. And it, it's, it's me living my core belief that I have to elicit attention strategically. Yeah, no, you know, you say you dress for a purpose. Mm. I learned that junior year of college at UCF, my favorite professor, or one of my favorite professors, shout out to Dr. Morgan. He is the ex-mayor um, of Oviedo. Mm. This guy worked crisis PR for companies like Duda and Sons, Sod Farm, but he taught, not a class, just kind of impromptu one day, that he dresses every day based on what he needs to accomplish. Mm. And he talks about if he was going to meet someone who felt like that person was at a higher place in their career than he was, he put on his presidential cufflinks. If he was going out to meet a news reporter at one of the farms that was being um, reported on, then he made sure he put on blue jeans, boots, and a polo. Good man. He constantly dressed for the occasion. And that was something that, like you, I like to be noticed. And like you, I don't mind being loud at times, but I really took to that. So shout out to Dr. Morgan and thank you for that it was a literally an impromptu, probably five minute lesson one day, 
but it was so spot on that 20 years later, I still carry it with me. That's yeah. And, and things like that really are formative. So I had my, um, uh, my first phase of kind of a Dr. Morgan moment when I was extremely young, my father was in, in the real estate industry and he was building, um, I, was, I think there was 15 homes on a large plot of land that he was building a track and you know, you got to get sewers in. So there was at some point he had to meet with the site planners and this is probably late eighties. And I somehow ended up at that meeting. So we walk in and around the table, there's like six or seven engineers, myself and my dad. And all the engineers are wearing yellow shirts, short sleeve, buttoned down with a pink tie. Like all of them, different pink ties, different yellow shirts. But somehow it was this perfect uniform presence of yellow and pink at the table. And he, you know, he was- And these are engineers. Engineers, okay. right. This is night, late 80s engineers. And so he started just doing this like stand-up routine there picking on pink tie day. And I'll never forget that moment when I realized that they had uniformly, but unstated, fallen into matching. This was their de facto uniform, and nobody had made a point to make it that. It just became. And so later in my life, um, my friend Sammy, uh, shout out to the Ionicones, um, Sammy's dad was a member at a major country club. And we would be pretty much... It, we, they would hand us the keys. They'd just go run through the country club. We knew the code. We could get the free food. Like you were a kid. I was like 13. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so this major country club celebrities sometimes yeah. walking around. It's a pretty impressive place. And uh, we, we, you know, it wasn't free food, by the way. It was free food to me because yeah. we knew the code. Um, but anyhow, um, Sammy would play Dr. Lawyer. And Dr. Lawyer was this thing where we could pick a crowd and we go, that's a doctor, 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 lawyer. And it was all based on how they fell into wearing clothes at the country club. And I mean, so it's my second major lesson. And wh what bothered me about this lesson was they all matched. There was no distinction between them. Yes, you could tell who they were, but there was no reason to think that one doctor was, you know, specialized in a space. One doctor was better than the other. They were all doctors. They were all just oneness. And if you're going to be the best or you're going to be the best for your target customer, you can't be this blankness, this oneness. You can't all be the white lab coat guy. I mean, in a sea of a thousand white lab coats, you know what stands out? The blue one. Yeah. And now, is this the white noise that you were talking about? Well, so yes, exactly. So our world, think about social media. Just this, you know, go thumb scroll for a while. Oh. And it's it actually starts looking the same. Even though everybody's, you know, got their different way of, you know, griping about politics or saying the thing they're saying about their family or, you know, showing the thing that they have for sale, it all starts looking the same. And then when you go start browsing an industry on social all the industry starts looking extremely the same. So now if I am going to search for somebody in mortgages, if I'm going to go search for you know, my next faucet that I want need to install in my kitchen, whatever it is, the sameness is, is palpable. So how do I make a decision? Well, now my decision largely is going to come down to price. And that that's a problem. Yes. Because, you know, do not compete on price. Never compete on price. Compete on value. Because that's where you get to name your own sale price to your target customer because you're competing on something wholly different than the bottom line. And so if, if you don't want to be low-cost provider in life, you have to rise above what I call the white noise. And this happens everywhere. I mean, go to a stadium. 
can you hear somebody across the stadium as everybody's cheering? No. No, you hear the crowd. Can you even pick somebody notable from the stadium? You know, you've got maybe two two teams. So you've got your red team and your blue team, and you see a sea of red and you see a sea, sea of blue. The dude willing to wear bright pink in that crowd is the one you're going to notice. Because he dares to be different. And so that's the chief attention getter. That my, I'm living my life trying to find a way, not necessarily to make people loud in the sense that you're going to wear tacky things. You're going to become Mimi from the Drew Carey show. Like she, <laughs> she stood out for a reason too, but she's a punchline. Yes. I don't believe in becoming the punchline. I do firmly believe in becoming noticed. That's going to be different for everybody. For me, you know, in, in my first professional experience coming, uh, I was in college I landed an internship, but the woman who was training me ended up having to leave for maternity leave way early because of health complications. The vice president of this multi-billion dollar real estate investment trust comes walking into my little cubicle and he goes, hey, Josh, you're getting promoted. I'm like, I'm the intern. Yeah. He goes like, well, yeah. he goes, now you're an employee. I was, I was at least on the books. And he goes, you're getting a raise and this is your title. And he gave me this woman's job for a while she was gone, mm -hmm. no, knowing that he asked me if I could extend for an extra semester, and I got permission to do that. So now I'm upper middle management at 21 in a real estate investment trust running low-income housing. And I went from being the lowest man on the totem pole to now having 17 employees who are all 40 plus. Yeah. Right? Wow. Right. And so I was showing up in khakis and a golf shirt thinking I was okay, and now I can't get any buy-in from my sudden employees. So same VP, um, Alan comes comes down and he goes, uh, you're struggling. I feel it. You're struggling. He goes, I called the guys over at my, the men's warehouse where I shop. They know you're coming. You need to look the part. So he got me my first two suits. So I'm 21. I'm going to school every day in a suit and then leaving school and going to the office in a suit and then going back for my night classes. Um, and I had to wear the, I had to wear something that put me in the class that I was expected to be in for the role. And it did change the dynamic. It at least opened conversations where it was mutual respect. And then from there, I could prove myself. That is um, like amazing advice to anyone listening, especially when you're younger in your career or you're younger at your company, you're younger in your industry, you may be younger in life. Same exact thing. Nine, almost 10 years ago, I hire a close friend of mine to come in and be my assistant. We had turned a corner in, in, in our business where I just needed help. Mm -hmm. And we had never hired an assistant. We never had this position before. And at this time, our office was, well, we maybe grown from like five to 15 people. And I remember when I talked to him that day, I said, you're going to see how I dress, but that's not how you get to dress. And I, and I said it because you're going to come in. We've never had an assistant before and people are going to see the title assistant. They're going to not know that you have your finance degree from the University of Florida. They're not going to know that you worked in hospitality management for eight years successfully. They're going to see the assistant. So you yep. can't dress like the assistant. You need to be the best dressed person because you will be the least experienced person. And that will show. We will see that yep. you're wet behind the ears and you don't know as much as we do, but don't let someone treat you any differently. And we use that. So his first year, he had to wear a tie every day to the office where if you walk around our office today, and let's just say not today, because today post-COVID, some people have really gone off the rails. Um, yes, they have. But, but pre-COVID, most people, the guys wear slacks and a polo, slacks and a mm -hmm. button down. Right. So I made sure Kevin was in slacks, 
button-down tie so that he was the best-dressed person just to gain that respect. And that would be, sounds like it worked for you 20, 25 years ago. It worked for Kevin 10 years ago. I promise you guys listening and girls listening, it works in 2020 and 2021 as well. Well, and we're talking about human behavior here. You get responses from humans because you've set up cues for humans to respond. If you set up the right cues, and again, this is just going back to marketing in any capacity. If you set up the right cues, humans respond to cues. Yeah, simple enough. And um, and the way you dress is a little bit of storytelling about how you treat yourself and how you expect to be treated. I want to be loud and approachable because that's how I want to live my life. So I dress exactly that way. And I do get a whole heap of attention. The way I dress right now, I went to a conference uh, about three years ago, 3,500 people at the conference. Five days into the conference, they do the wrap-up video. And the wrap-up video should have been a smattering of people having fun, some great clips of you know uh, the celebrities on stage. Half that freaking video was me. Because of what you're wearing. Because of what I was wearing and how much, how present I was with the people I was there. So I, it all went together. And at the end of the thing, people literally like were coming up to me and they were like, how did you end up being like, you're, you're a nobody. You're just a, like a guy who paid to be here. I'm like, the story tells itself. Josh, let me ask you this about your personality. Would you say that your personality is one that has, has big swings, meaning you can be very outgoing and gregarious and you can also be very um, solemn and serious, or are you pretty much middle of the road with your personality in general, how you conduct yourself, business and personal? Um, boy, that's interesting. So no, I wouldn't call it big swings. Um, there are, there are, I guess there's a time and a place for my behavior. And so I try to bring my behavior to the space that I'm in. Um, and, and really kind of feel out the other side of the room. Because to me, and I, I ask because yeah. to me, you seem very even keel. So your dress, when it's a little bit flashy, it's a great balance for you being pretty even, meaning you're you're hard to make angry. And if you oh. are angry, we're not going to see that part of you. Yeah. But you also aren't going to be the guy with your shirt off dancing on top of the table. No. Or are you? No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Um, honestly, the only reason why I would ever go to extremes like that is strategy. <laughs> yeah. You know, if if I knew I could, if I could change somebody's life by changing their perspe- perspective on something by going so hard extrovert that I'm the guy on the table and I was doing it because I could, I know I could get through to somebody for their benefit, I will risk myself and, and perception of me in an effort to change somebody. Because I, I care about people that much. Um, I don't think I'll ever dial back and be quiet unless it is also to respect or to diffuse something. You know, ne- diffuse a negative situation, I'm glad to be quiet. I can shut up. Um, and some people would say I can't. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, strategy is everything to me. And there, there's a reason to make a chess move. And, and I will make those chess moves. And I will sacrifice players on my chessboard if it means I get to do something really positive for somebody. I'm really, I'm very okay with that. Yeah. I'll lose money to do the right thing. What what drives you in general? What drives you in business? Oh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I, let me start with what gets me the most excited. Okay. What gets me the most excited is a momentary thing where I can see on somebody's face that you can see the look. You weren't supposed to do that and you just did that. I love that moment. And I used to think that is actually what drives me. 
when it's actually not. And results, getting, getting the attention for my customers and getting results for them is very exciting. But what actually drives me is fundamental change for humans and, and, and qualifying that a little bit. You know, there's a lot of people who have dreams. There's a lot of people who have goals. And they're on a journey there. And so many people don't have clarity on how to get there. And if something I can do for them in their world can open a door for them to get that much closer to their dream, that's what excites me. When, I, you know, when I'm on consulting calls with my customers, most of my, co my retainer customers are all on some form of coaching with me. What we spend at least a third of the time at this point, if they've been with me a while and if they're new with me, almost all of it is actually about mindset. I spend an, a gross amount of time on mindset because you can't even get the right attention if you don't believe the right things about yourself. You don't even know what attention you need or want. We, you don't know what will move the needle because you don't even know, know what needle you're moving, what you care to move, if you don't have your intentions about who you are and where you're going set. And, and so I demand that clarity from the people I work with. And, and some, some of them don't even know it. Some, some of them, I'm working with them to get them to, to the place where we can talk about the fact that we've been working on mindset. Yeah, like, like they don't know who they are as a person. Yeah, and, or, or as a business, mm -hmm. you know, and, and some of that, of course, crosses over. A lot of the people I work with are the entrepreneur. So that starts becoming one and the same. Um, but even for the ones that are, you know, the marketing director for a multi-million or billion dollar company, you know, the, the company itself also has to have the, the right corporate mindset or culture and people who believe it at a fundamental level so you can drive that type of change. So it's always coming back to mindset for me. Um, and, and when I see people actually get it, when, the, when they are, when their int intentions are set, that is so exciting for me. And that drives me to get them to that point because then they're gonna get themselves to the goal with or without me at that point because they're set. And so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're in branding, we're in film and television and advertising video production. That is what I give to the world in exchange for the dollars that we need for my family to be good. But through that all, if I'm not driving people towards the mindset clarity that will unlock their ability to get what they want in more than just a branding perspective, but in life, mm, yeah, that's the good stuff that drives me. So is it the white noise that you were discussing earlier? Is that what gets in the way from people finding that clarity, both in business and in personal? And, you know, I think there might be an analogy there. So the white noise that I'm usually talking about is how the world is so so full of stuff that can keep, grab your attention that trying to be the thing that grabs your target's attention is so challenging because there's all that noise. Okay. But at the same time, you're right. I, I think there is something there where because you can be distracted by a billion things and a billion opportunities, it's very hard to put a stake in the sand and say, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm going for because there's it's kind of the curse of having too many options, you know, and just go to a car dealership. You got 20 models on the lot that are the new models that have how many different customizations, 30, 40, 50 customizations each do the permutations. Now I've got thousands of options. The moment I pay for one 
frequently there's a moment of buyer's remorse. Mm -hmm. Oh, I should have gotten this option. Oh, I should have changed this color. You know, goodness gracious, I just spent $30,000, $50,000, $100,000 on something that I'm so-so on. But then there's that one person who goes in going, this is the car I want. I'm only buying that car. If you don't have it, I'll go somewhere else. And they go and get a car that they are set on and they are absolutely content with it because they bought the right car. So as a business operator, is my goal to create more of those buyers? I think so. I, 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 th I think you want to educate your buyer into having such clarity that they're walking in knowing that you're the person who can deliver the thing to get them exactly what they want. And, you know, so like think about, you know, people to talk, you know, you got to do more social media, do some video. Well, why? Mm -hmm. And if it, to me, it boils down to coaching people into knowing, liking and trusting you. Okay, what do you give them so that they will know, like, and trust you? Well, you give them information, maybe entertaining information, but it's information that empowers them to have the clarity that you want them to have. Now, it's going to benefit them, but this is about the two-way street of you and your audience. You need to give them the gift of clarity. You might even convince some people that you're not the person for them. Great. Then you don't want to waste your time on them, and you don't want them to waste their time on you. But you do want to coach a certain audience into knowing, liking, trusting, and loving you. Just being just, you know, avaricious. You want them to be raving fans for you because you gave them the gift of clarity. And they know also that you can give the gift of clarity to people they care about. You know, that's where the referrals come in eventually. So, yeah, I mean, you know, there is kind of going all the way back to the white noise thing. You know, you want to rise above the white noise so you can be known. And if you want to be able to figure out how to rise above the white noise, you're going to have to cut through the white noise for yourself to get clarity on what you can deliver to everybody else. Do you have like a, a go-to top three? I'm sure there's probably 10, but if you just pick a random three strategies for cutting through the white noise, what, what are some of your go-tos when you're doing your coaching and you're, sure. and you're consulting with a client? Okay. Well, let's start with mindset first. Okay. Okay. So the very first thing I do is I walk people through the book, Think and Grow Rich. Now, we, we, you know, I tell people you can listen to it. Actually, one of my favorites is Napoleon Hill actually read a 45-minute short version of Think and Grow Rich. You can get it on Amazon, and it's a, it's a free play if you have Prime, and it's wonderful. I listen to it quarterly. I mean, it's got the record scratches in it and everything. It's really charming. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah, it, yes. was, it was probably written back in the 1950s? Uh, earlier. I want to say 30s. Okay, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, the most important thing in my estimation in that whole book, and so I'm going to give everybody the takeaway right now, is that you have to figure out what your major definite purpose is, his term. So why do you exist? You figure out what, why you exist, and then you figure out what you're going to give in the, to the world in exchange for what you expect the world to give to you. All right, say that again for us. So you've got the major definite purpose. You need to figure out essentially why you exist. Which, and, and why I exist, there's no right or wrong answer, mm -mm. but it's something that's dear to me. Uh, absolutely. Okay. If it doesn't matter to you, then that's not why you exist. Yep. Um, but then you need to figure out what you're going to give in the world to the world, which is through the lens of why you exist. Putting others first. Mm -hmm. In exchange for what you expect of the world. Okay. So now that you've, Let's say you've got it up here. It's in your head. Then you write it down and you write it down a handful of times. You do some iterations till it is something that you could recite to yourself on a daily basis. Then 
you say it every morning when you get up, you say it in the mirror looking at yourself, and every night you say it again in the mirror looking at yourself before you go to bed. You'll need the paper at first. And when you finally got it memorized, you keep going. And here's the hard truth about this. You will probably not fully believe what you are reading, but the power of auto-suggestion, which is another principle in that book, is that if you keep saying it over time, it becomes true. It becomes something at least that you believe. And once you believe it at a core level, it becomes exactly what you are looking for subconsciously in every setting and the doors of this world. And some people call it the vibration of the universe. It'll start getting really hippy-dippy really quick. But I mean, when I bought a red Jeep years ago. And I didn't notice red Jeeps until I bought the red Jeep. But then your reticular happened. activator was turned on once you bought your red Jeep. Bingo. Yeah. Your reticular activator, you are turning on when you do this power of auto-suggestion to the point where once you've got it locked in, everything in your world is opportunity opening for you to capture exactly what you expect of this. So you're sitting here sharing this, and it reminds me of uh, a lunch that uh, JC, John Coleman, and I had. Just you know, two friends going out for lunch a couple weeks ago. And I didn't know this about him. And he and I became friends six, seven months ago when we started working together. And he's behind camera guys right now. And I'm going to put him on the spot because Josh took his seat today and rightfully so. But I learned this about JC that um, the, the, the audio, the saying, he has a certain saying that he started saying to himself two or three years ago. And once I learned that, then I heard you just um, explain it. And then something that, that JC does for our social media uh, that I love, like I crack up laughing. I never know that he's doing it. And I look forward to it as a viewer, not, not mm -hmm. as, as a host, but as a viewer is he chops up clips and he makes them funny, right? They're usually 90 seconds long and he'll go find um, a clip online and, and he'll tie them together. So um, which that's just a shout out to JC. You need to follow us on social. Be just, just a laugh. Like not even, even if you hate the podcast, but you just want to laugh. They're 90 second clips and they're super funny. But JC, what did you start saying to yourself a few years ago that's going to shape your destiny, both professionally and personally? And say it out loud so it, it catches right. the, the, the mic. I'll put, a, I'll put a, uh, what do you call it, cap I will earn $10 million in exchange for my knowledge, patience, and creative talents. I'll achieve this goal by January 25th, 2020 by working for myself and with people I love and care about to create amazing content that lasts a lifetime. Yeah. So you couldn't hear that more than likely, but he will throw it up on subtitles. Awesome. Yeah. But, pause and put that up on full screen. Seriously. Yeah. Now, now, is he going to do it? No, because we're already past January 2020, <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's just going to happen a lot. Sure. A, maybe it's going to take him longer yeah. to achieve it, but it doesn't mean that it's not out there. He's put it out there for the universe and himself. Absolutely. I'll give you mine. Okay. Which, you know, people say I'm crazy for saying this. Big, hairy, audacious goals, BHAGs. BHAGs. I love them. Yep. Love them. Got to have them, right? By my 55th birthday, I turned 40, by the way, in a couple days, okay. September 2nd. Happy so, early birthday. Thank you. Yes. Um, by my 55th birthday, I will have $28 million liquid. I will have 16 multi-use rental properties in three cities. That is my what I expect of this world. In order to get that, I will exchange high-value branding information, coaching, and high-frequency retainer content creation services for the masses. In order to do that, the numbers are clear. I have to have more than 250 retainer clients by, oh, I guess five years out from here. Once I have that 250, all of it falls together. 
That's incredible. Why 28 million? Because it's weird. Okay. And the reason why, so, and here's the thing. So I was listening to Damon John a while back. Damon John wanted to do- FUBU, right? FUBU. Yep. Yep. Uh, Shark Tank. Yes. Yep. He wanted to do one deal that was worth 101 million, blah, blah, blah. It was like, he had it down to the penny. And he went on this rant because somebody goes, why that number? And he goes, because I'll never effing forget it. I was like, oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I didn't want to take it down to the penny, but, but I want you know, 28. It's a good number. It's divisible by a number of numbers. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's a comfortable number for me, but well, it's, it, it it's not an even 30. It's not an even 50. It's not a low ball five. I mean, no, it is 28. Be, and, and think about it. This is liquid. Yeah. I'm very specific about this. I want cash on hand. Yeah, and it would spit out pretty easily, conservatively invested $100,000 a month. I thought maybe that that was where your goal was. Well, it would spit out $100,000 a month in income. I would never have to touch the principal, and no, that's so why it's 20. My, my net worth has to be way higher to pull this number off. Okay. Way higher, and I'm really good with that. That's fantastic. No, that is um, – I'm obviously behind the eight ball because I can't spit one out the way that you and JC just did, but maybe I'll work on one now. Well, I think you maybe should. I mean, the thing one. is you're already a successful, you know, you are in a mortgage company that is one of the top in the nation and you are a leader in that company. You're already successful. How much more successful could you be if you decided to dial in? Like you're already dialed in. I like, I, I love everything you're doing. So this is not a negative critique. Yeah, no, but I've but never your put potential? words to it. Heck yeah. Yeah, I've never, I've never put words to it. And I, and I easily could, right? This podcast is a passion project. It's yeah. my way of giving back. I obviously am driven by money. That's why every job I've had since I was 23 was a eat what you kill job, 100% commission. And I'm at a point in my life where I want to leave a legacy and mm-hmm. leaving a legacy is more than just leaving money behind. It's actually changing and impacting people's lives, yeah. right? I want to talk to people about things that I wish they were, that were talked about when they were 16, 17, 18 at the dining room table. I, I wish they were maybe taught at the college level. I wish when we got together as friends and talked, it wasn't just dirty jokes and fantasy football, but it was also opening ourselves up and being vulnerable a little bit. Mm-hmm. And be willing to talk about whether it's the things we put in our mouths in terms of, of nutrition or the, the, the things that we think about or fear in terms of mental health to business to personal finance. And my hope with this show is that I give a voice yeah. that you can be real and you can also be vulnerable. And I don't want to hide or sugarcoat anything. I want to be who I am. So sometimes we do drop four-letter words. Right. right. We don't shy away from them because to do so, I would be not being myself or not being true to thyself. So yep. I, I'll work on that. And I, I will make a goal by the end of this year. I will have mine. I know because you will. I, because I, I know what I want in terms of, of uh, net worth. And mm-hmm. if I have $10 million by 55, well, you just threw the gauntlet down. It can't be $10 million anymore. It's now $28 million and $1 just so I can one-up Josh. Oh, man, you're um, competitive, man. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, so I will tell you, I am an abundance person. You know, I, I see people get competitive in industries all the time, and it's like, oh, they got that deal. I'm like, no, cheer them on, because the next deal's yours. It's going to come from somewhere. There's abundance. So it's funny when I meet somebody who is highly competitive, and I used to be extremely competitive. Um, I, you know, I was a, nearly a professional athlete, which is which I, sport? Baseball. Okay. Um, long story there. Uh, injuries ended it. Yes. Story short. Um, but lack of talent ended into my baseball career, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I suppose there might have been a little lack of yeah. talent there for me too. But anyhow, um, so I used to be highly competitive until some at some point it shifted, and I suddenly realized that my win isn't somebody else's loss anymore, and my loss is not some and somebody else's win is not my loss because there is so much abundance. And so if I if I get caught up in in playing the game of me versus them, and I'm missing out on us. And, and so um, there's be, never be competitive, been a, a drive against me because it's funny. Correct. But yeah. yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is honestly, I'm super competitive with myself. Good man. But I don't mind losing. If you and I go bowling, which I like to bowl and I'm a pretty decent bowler. Well, if I bowl a 130, mm-hmm. I'm pissed even if I beat you because I should be bowling a 171. Okay. If you bowl a 220 and I bowl a 190, so 20 points over my average, I could I'm going to high five you. I'm going to talk about how great you are because I don't expect myself to bowl a 220. Um, and okay. I'm going to be proud of my, of my 190. Same thing goes for golf. You know, in general, I don't like to lose when I play a game. I play to win. Um, but I sure as heck don't uh, have to be the winner. But I do like to, and we talk about this a lot on the show, the, um, the Michael Jordan documentary. Mm-hmm. I, I am that person that sometimes will make something up or make something bigger than what it is just to give myself uh, uh, the fuel that I need to, to push sure. myself towards yep. a goal. But no, ultimately, I'm not a that competitive yep. or, oh, I have to be the best. I have to be the best person I am. Good man. Well, it, that self-competitive thing and your awareness of it uh, reminds me of you know Socrates when he, he went to the top of the, the mountain Delphi and he spoke to the oracle. You know, the oracle spoke back and said in, in Greek, Gonothi suautan, and, and it's translated as know thyself. And now Socrates took it to be that the one thing he knew, he knew that he knew nothing in comparison to all that there could be known. So it was a statement of humility for him. But um, I look at Gonothi suautan as self-awareness. And it's super important to know that, that self-competitiveness for you allows you to propel yourself. As that level of, of self-knowledge and authenticity really matters for everybody, and it'll be different things. But knowing that y- you'll drive to your goal, if you're driving yourself to your goal, is is really critical. So that's great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the whole mindset of good enough never is, right? Yeah. I mean, good enough never is. If you achieve it, well, what else can you do? Yeah. yeah if, if you get to your... To your 28 million, I'm sure your next thought process is, is how can I make this 28 million the most impactful, not just for you and your family, mm. but the others around you? Well, that, that is actually what drives me. So um, f- financial freedom to me is freedom to make a difference and, and difference makers. And I, you know, nobody will know when I hit my mark, by the way. I have no interest in, in that being known. Um, you know, I, I feel bad for guys like the Mark Cubans of the world who are known to a certain degree by their success and wealth because it's a little bit limiting because everybody sees their wealth and so it becomes part of them. So do you, you know, does, does somebody who meets Mark Cuban like Mark or do they like what Mark's got? And, and I hopefully never have to deal with that really. Um, but the ability to affect change where change is going to be vital for people it's really exciting. Like, you know, it's, you know, I've worked with homeless organizations. I've worked, you know, I work with foster care in, in different cities. I work with child protective services where they're pulling, you know, you know, women and children out of homes where they, where they literally, if it goes too far, could be murdered, you know? And I, and I look at those situations and I go, where's, where's the secret wealthy person who can step in and just solve problems? 
give people a fishing pole and a lesson so that they can fish for yes. themselves. Where is this yes. person? And I don't, I, I mean, you might, they're, need, you they're, might 15, need your... they're 15 years and uh, two weeks away from being there. Well, yeah. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Uh, that, that's you in 15 years. It's you right. with your $28 million. Not That's just liquid, not including the rest of the net, net right. worth. It's a uh, same thought on my end, looking at this show and things that we talk about and teach on the show. How can I take that to a community center, to a nonprofit and teach people everything from ROI when it comes to education, mm -hmm. because I think that's something that's not taught. We're told to go get an education, but never to run an ROI because maybe it doesn't make sense to get that degree right. or to go to that college. And it could be how to, to balance a bank account. I almost said checkbook, but no one ever uses checkbooks, but you still need to run yeah. a budget. How do you dress for success? Heck, how do you utilize what's around you, whether it is shopping at a Goodwill or a TJ Maxx or mm -hmm. going to Nordstrom's to pick out the best clothes that are going to be the most multi-purposed? Yeah. Um, that for me, when I get to my number, I want to be able to do way more of that because um, I enjoy it and I want to yeah. get into the schools and I want to have those conversations early. Speaking of which, because one of the themes is everything you should have learned in high school, but didn't yeah, yeah. usually because it wasn't taught, yeah. right? It wasn't because you were skipping school. Right. Do you have any go-tos that, you know, you're, you're 39, almost 40 looking back the, the Josh 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So right before you were promoted from intern to uh, middle management or the Josh 25 years ago, sure. that it may have been something that was taught to you that you're so fortunate because it was, mm -hmm. or it could have been something that, gosh, you just wish it was taught to you earlier that you'd want to leave on this recording for many others to enjoy for uh, years to come. Well, I, I will tell you that I was an extremely fortunate child in the sense that I went to a um, private Christian college preparatory high school that had a phenomenal curriculum, had amazing educators. Um, I also had amazing influences in my life who helped me miss a lot of the gaps. So, you know, and unfortunately you look at the public school system and, you know, we spit on the trades. We don't do t home ac. Nobody knows how to balance a checkbook. Um, th those are many gaps that I, I grieve. And I'm, as a parent, trying to make sure my kids don't have those gaps. Um, but, you know, so I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. And maybe we'll do another podcast another time. Yes. Believe it or not. No, 100% we yeah, should already. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you when I started my first manufacturing company at the age of four, and we were cash positive 1600 a year as a four-year-old. Um, so uh, I've got weird and fun stories like that, and it also goes to how amazing my upbringing was. Um, but in one of my entrepreneurial ventures, it wasn't going well. As I was in my early 20s, millions of dollars flowing. And I had a really bad influence who happened to be my employee, happened to be a family member, happened to be somebody I put in management. And the way he handled crisis situations was to be the, the loudest, scariest gorilla in the room. Okay. And I took that on as a management tactic. And it's funny. So I just ran into Tracy in the hallway, yes. which was an awesome experience. I, I love how many wonderful people work here at Waterstone. I didn't know she worked here. It's a, and we're friends, but COVID, you know, people get weirdly connected and disconnected sometimes. And we just reconnected. And she was telling me about how toxic her last, her last location was and, you know, her previous employer screaming, and just F-bombing employees to their face for not delivering something within yeah. a minute of the expectation. Yeah, it's crazy that happens. Yeah, and but then I, I had this flashback to, for about six months, that was me. I was that boss. 
Early, in, in your early 20s. In my, in my early yep. 20s. You know, so this is a good, you know, roughly 20 years ago. Um, what type of business was it? You won't even believe it. So there's a long story about how it happened, but I ended up owning one of the largest snow plowing companies in Western New York. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a whole second episode yeah. that we need to do together <laughs> where maybe we just sit down and, and tell random crazy stories with the sole purpose that we're going to entertain yeah. and educate. Yeah. Yeah. Right? No, there's there, a lot of lessons in that yes, one. I okay. promise you. But so, so you were, you were that gorilla. You, you started I, I, mirroring. I started mirroring somebody who I, I was considering a mentor. I didn't realize I, I didn't put thought to the fact that I was treating it that way, but that's exactly what I was doing. And, you know, so choose your mentors wisely. Because I allowed somebody to be a mentor when he never should have been. Um, all signs pointed to, I mean, if you looked at his CV and his life history, he's not mentor quality. Um, but I allowed it. And so I turned into a monster for a short period of time. It jeopardized relationships. I lost some key employees from my behavior. And it was all because I allowed a mentor relationship to manifest without me putting thought to it. So we all need mentors. We all need coaches. You want to be a top performer in whatever you're doing. You must have a mentor, a coach. It might be the same person. It might be different people. There's different relationships and different purposes behind those constructs. However, most people go through life allowing mentors and influences of, of great value or at least of great weight, let's say, to manifest on their own without purpose. And when that happens... You get what you've subjected yourself to, but you don't necessarily have control over it. I needed to have control over that, and I wish I was a mature enough person at that age to recognize what I was allowing myself to be subjected to. And for a very short time in my life, I was a monster. That's a great takeaway. Not only do you need to find mentors, but make sure that you're finding them and choosing the right mentors. And if you found the wrong mentor, cut bait. Yep. Cut bait, move on. 100%. Josh, unfortunately, our time is up because okay. I actually to have end. to go get uh, together with one of my life coaches. Good man. And spend an hour working on me. Good man. Working on me. Um, he's Josh Pies. I'm Dustin Owen. This is the Loan Officer Podcast. Josh, if people want to get a hold of you, which they should want to because we just scratched the surface, we didn't even get to dive deep on white noise, which... There's so much we could have discussed just when it comes to white noise and how do you, from a business perspective, cut out the white noise to rise above it. Yeah. We kind of went down a rabbit hole of how do you cut down the white noise from a personal standpoint sure. to rise above it. But if people want to learn more about your services, what you can do for them, what's the best and easiest way for them to get a hold of you? C47films.com. My contact information is there. There's a contact form. We're in social everywhere, but you can find the social by going to c47films.com. And it, when in doubt, Google Josh Pies. P-I-E-S. Apple Cherry Pumpkin. Apple Cherry Pumpkin. <laughs> C47films. Think clothespins. <laughs> C47films.com. He's Josh Pies. I'm Dio, and we are out.